As a child, was there seriously anything better than Christmas morning? For, for, for me anyway, this was undeniably the single greatest day of the year. In fact, it was that night before Christmas that was really the only day of the year where as a 12-year-old or a 5-year-old or as an 8-year-old, I wouldn't sleep particularly well because I was just so jacked up. I was so excited about what was going to happen the next day. And there's a lot, honestly, that makes Christmas special, but let, let's be honest, as a kid, it's all about them gifts. I, I was so excited to rip into some presents and see exactly what mom and dad had got me. And then later on in the afternoon, grandpa and grandma would come over and even more presents. There was such, there was such an expectation for, for what was going to happen on that day. There was never any doubt that Christmas was going to be this amazing day as, as a child. Even if I didn't get a single present that I maybe specifically asked for, it, it would still end up being a great day because one way or another, presents were going to be involved. So, so let me ask you something. If we live with that sort of expectation, that, that sort of eager anticipation, that excitement that, 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 that our parents or our grandparents are, are going to come through on Christmas morning, how much more expectation should there be for the God of the universe? In Matthew chapter 7, uh, this is one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself says these words. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? If we put this in modern terms, it would be like, hey, parents, if your kid asks for a bowl of cereal, do you give them a rock instead? Or if they ask you uh, for, for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? This is, again, Jesus himself talking, Get God in the flesh. He's going, if you're willing to place this much faith, this much expectation on your parents, how much more should you be placing on your heavenly Father? Do we live with this kind of expectation? Do we approach the situations and the circumstances in our life, regardless of how simple or challenging they might be, with the expectation that God can and will come through? Do we trust and expect that even if he doesn't do or move in a way that maybe perfectly lines up with whatever we've dreamt up in our heads, that his way really is better? That, that, that after all, he is the, the God of the universe. And, and even when it seems like, God, you're, you're really kind of letting things get out of hand, you, you pause and remind yourself of his faithfulness in the past. You remind yourself that, that you are merely the creation and he is the creator. God, there's no reason to start getting all worked up. I, I'm living with the expectation that you are going to come through, that, that you have this under control. See, I, I'm really, really confident that if we began to live with this type of expectation, um, your faith would begin to grow in ways that you never thought possible. God would begin to use this faith community. God would begin to use Grumlaw in ways that we could never plan for. If we would begin to praise God before the breakthrough, if we would worship him before the rescue, if we walked with confidence and expectation of him showing up and showing off. 
Let's actually, in fact, pray this morning right now that he would do just that. God, we pray, we we are sitting here in expectation that that you are going to work here today, that that you are going to pierce our hearts, that you're going to speak to each one of us individually if we are simply willing to listen. And as I pray every single Sunday, uh, I I beg you that this would be a group of people who are watching, who are listening, uh, a group of people who are marked by their obedience, who are marked by uh, not just their listening, not just their hearing, but their doing. Uh, that we don't just come here and gather on Sundays and take this stuff in and then it's out one ear. No, no, no. We, we, we actually pause and we say, okay, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me today? What is it that you're trying to get me to do today? Where is it that you're trying to get me to move? It's in your name we pray. Amen. T- today, uh, we're entering into a two-part series, a conversation really titled Worthy of It All. But, but honestly, it's really more of a prayer. It's more of a pleading as we just talked about, an expectation that God is going to shake up this particular body of Jesus' followers, that the followers of Jesus in this room, the people who are watching right now, won't be content living your average, in many cases, lukewarm Christian life, that these couple of weeks are going to be used as as a catalyst to stir up a true heart of worship within us for, for the living God, that this body of Jesus' followers would be marked by our expectation that God will come through. And as a result, it moves us to a humble posture of worship where we seek to glorify him in everything we do. Now, now I recognize that if, uh, if you're new to this whole church thing, or even if you've maybe been at this church thing for, for a while, that, that while what I'm describing might sound foreign to you, that there's something deep down inside of you, I believe this, that, that longs for this to be true. And I'm here to tell you that this is not just some fairy tale. It's, it's not something that's reserved for the spiritual elite. No, this type of life, this, this life of intimacy with the living God is available and waiting for those individuals who truly seek him. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at a story. Uh, It's a true story that occurred around 850 B.C. Uh, We find it documented for us in the Old Testament, which is kind of the first half of the Bible. And we're going to be taking a look at the king of Judah, a guy by the name of King Jehoshaphat. He was put in this place where he was either going to be crushed with anxiety over the enemy that was quickly surrounding him or exercise his faith in God and believe believe that God was going to uphold his promises. Live in expectation that God would come through. Worshiping God for what he is about to do, for what he has yet to do. Worshiping God for his promises before the miracle even happens. It's a faith-stretching, it's a faith-forming experience, and in so many ways, the most honest expression of worship. What you're going to soon see here in the life of King Jehoshaphat, and what I long to be evident in your life as well, is that honest worship is when we worship based on who he is, not our circumstances. Because here's the reality, our God does not change. Which is why this story that, yes, occurred thousands of years ago is still every bit as relevant today. Your faith should not be attached to circumstances, but no, it should be attached to the living God who came down to this earth, dwelt among us, paid the penalty for your sin, for my sin, but three days later, after being in a grave, he triumphantly rose from that grave and he conquered death. Circumstances, as every single one of us know, they change. Our God does not. 
which is why regardless of how well or how terrible our lives might be going in this present moment, we can still sing and praise His holy name. We are praising, we are worshiping Him based on who He is, who He has proven Himself to always be. It's why we can, with with absolute confidence, praise Him before the breakthrough, before the miracle. In fact, this is one of the the most common themes that you find throughout Scripture, but in particular in the Old Testament. The the, the Old Testament is, is absolutely chocked full of these sorts of examples, examples that are actually provided for us to give us confidence that if He has done it before, if God has came through before, then He is certain to do it again. God's past actions, His faithfulness to His promises can give us confidence to praise Him before the breakthrough in our own lives. But, but since we don't have time to obviously unpack the entirety of the Old Testament, as promised, we're just going to take a look at exactly one example that we find again in the life of this king, a guy who went by the name of King Jehoshaphat. We're going to pick up in Second Chronicles, again, another book we find in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible, and specifically in the 20th chapter. It says this, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Mayunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazanon Tamar. This was another name for En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. I I want to ask you a question. Where do you run when trouble comes your way? Where do you run when trouble seems imminent? Because of what I do for a living, I interact with a lot of couples when their marriage seems to have hit a breaking point. And when this trouble comes to a relationship, I see people turn to all sorts of things. I see them turn to shopping, their careers, their hobbies, vacations, pornography, even companionship in some cases with other people. All of this other stuff, all of these other distractions, rather than immediately turning to the Lord and begging, begging the living God to come through. Even as followers of Jesus, come on, even as Christians, we are so quick to turn to other areas for help or simply use God as a just-in-case option rather than our first, rather than our primary source. We've become a society that trusts Google more than we trust God. But if we believe that God is real, and I'm guessing by virtue of the fact that you're watching right now, you're at least leaning that direction, and you're believing that God is to be trusted that we should seek him first and foremost and then wait, wait for him to respond. But but unfortunately, it's pretty rare that we encounter this type of patience even among Jesus followers. Jehoshaphat is facing a literal life and death situation. And, And his first response is to beg, beg the living God for guidance. He then commands the entire nation to fast and pray. And I'll just say, as I was preparing, as I was studying for this message, this was so convicting for me. Because I wonder, how many times has has God not moved in this church because I haven't asked him? How many times 
Have we missed out on those miracles where, where we haven't seen God move in, in an incredible way because I haven't, as the leader of this church, collectively gotten us together and, and we just beg for him to come through? And then these people, they, they gathered in Jerusalem. P- people from, from everywhere, they came together. Church, and, and for those of you watching online in particular, there is power in gathering. There is power in in these rooms on Sunday mornings. This is just one of the many reasons why this pandemic has been so incredibly damaging to so many of us. We we have simply been kept apart. I am convinced that the enemy stirred up fear in the hearts of so many Jesus followers, and our enemy used the fear and continues to use that fear to keep so many people from gathering. There is power in followers of Jesus coming together. When my faith is struggling, I can lean on yours. I can hold on to your belief when mine isn't enough. And time and time and time again throughout history, when we see God come through in awe-inspiring, audacious ways, it is always preceded by earnest, constant, consistent, humble prayer, and typically prayer by a gathering of people, his followers coming together to earnestly seek his will and begging for him to come through. We pick up in verse 5, it says, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one, no one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. What is Jehoshaphat doing right here? Has God forgotten about these events that that he's citing? Is Jehoshaphat reminding God about these these other instances of faithfulness because he's worried that God has changed and is not going to come through this time? No. This is all about Jehoshaphat and the people reminding themselves of God's faithfulness. We need to regularly be preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past, not because God needs to be reminded of this, but because we, we need to be reminded. We are the ones who are quick to forget. We are the ones who are quick to play the woe is me card and completely look past all of the ways where God has come through in the past. This is just one of the many reasons why it's so important that you spend daily time in God's word, reminding yourself of that faithfulness, reminding yourself of how he has come through over and over again throughout the pages of history. Trust me, you, like me, we need to be reminded of this. It was just recently that I was speaking at a, at a team night for a church down in Detroit, and uh, as I was preparing that message, I came across this journal that, that I had documented in, uh, early and uh, prior to actually Grumlaw even getting off the ground. And I just had this page in the beginning of all these different instances where God had so clearly shown off. And, and I just sat there literally in tears and I'm like, look at all the ways that you were working, God, before we ever even had a service. 
God is consistent. God never changes. I am the one who is quick to forget. In verse 10, it picks up. It says, and now see what the armies of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. This is Jehoshaphat continuing to speak, continuing to pray, to talk to his heavenly father. He said, you would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us. God, you gave us this as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't stand a chance. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. As followers of Jesus, prayer Worship is plan A, and there really is no plan B. When Jehoshaphat was surrounded by the armies, when you feel surrounded, when you feel attacked, when everything feels like it's collapsing in around you, it's not pray, then strive and work, and ultimately figure it out on your own with a tiny bit of God sprinkled in there. It's keep praying. Prayer is the work. I want you to think about this. This is a deeply convicting question that I was asking myself this week. How often have we missed out on the miracle? How often have we missed out on the miracle because we weren't patient enough? How often have we missed out on the miracle because we didn't keep praying? Because we didn't keep seeking Him as our first, as our primary, as our sole source Again, this is so convicting for me personally because how many times has there been a miracle just on the other side waiting for me? But because of my impatience and frankly lack of faith, I moved on to my plan. I went on to my way. I am so confident that God wants to work so much more in all of our lives, but we're just too dang impatient to see the miracle happen. We consistently stop short. God responds to humble, specific, persistent prayer. Jehoshaphat recognized his place in all of this, that, that even as the king, he could do nothing apart from God. There's that humility. He, he was specific in what he was asking for, and he was so persistent, committed to praying until God came through, continuing to attach his faith, his confidence to the ways that he had seen God come through in the past. One of the things that you'll hear us talk an awful lot about uh, around Grumlaw is this idea of who's your one, that we challenge every single person who calls Grumlaw home to have that one person that they are praying for every single day, and they're going to keep praying every day until that person comes to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his one, he, he shared with me, it was about two years ago, he had been praying every single day for his friend for 16 years. And it was about two years ago that he finally accepted Jesus. He continued to pray, even though it took 16 years, expecting God to respond, expecting God to come through, because he had seen that faithfulness all over his life and all throughout the pages of history, and specifically in this book that we call the Bible. It continues in verse 13, it says, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. Uh, quick sidebar here, I think this is really, really fitting that we're talking about this particular subject on Father's Day. 
men who are watching right now, you are called to lead your homes by example. You are called to show your wife, show your children what it means to humbly come before the Lord, what it means to earnestly pray, what it means to worship. It makes me think of here on Sunday mornings, and what I'm about to say here, this isn't meant to be passive-aggressive, it is just an observation. Typically, most Sundays, the most disengaged people during worship, during the singing, are the middle-aged men in the room. Men, I want to challenge you. Let's change that stereotype. Let's lead in how we worship and in how we pour out our love and our adoration to the living God. So often I hear from men in particular, well, that's just not my thing. It's not really how I connect with God. Well, guess what? It's not just about you. Your wife and your kids, they are taking their cues from you. So respectfully, get over yourself. You have been called to model this to the people around you and specifically your family. Now, I got to tell you, this really started hitting home for me once I got married and then even more so once I had children. Because I had to ask myself, what was I not so subtly communicating to my wife and to my children about the living God by my posture towards worship? God is worthy of all of our praise, of all of our worship. I want to make sure that that is crystal clear to my wife, Andrea, and my kids, Logan, Malachi, and Oakley. Fathers, I believe this, that perhaps the greatest gift that you can offer to your children is to show them, model to them, what it means to passionately pursue and worship Jesus. In verse 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord, after they humbled themselves before God, after they reminded themselves of God's promises in the past, after they begged for God to come through, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was, he's got a long name there, we're just going to skip past that part because I'm going to butcher it. But he was a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. The spirit of the Lord had come upon him and now he is speaking. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. God hears our prayers. He longs to be our refuge. And his promise is not that he will necessarily take over and intervene in the way that you see fit, in the way that I see fit. But over and over and over again, here and all throughout Scripture, his promise is that he dwells in the praises of his people and he will be with us. In fact, there's even this one occasion, I love this, where Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he's literally just trying to teach them how to pray. And one of the things that he admits to them is he's like, hey, God actually knows exactly what you're going to say before you ever even open your mouth. Like, he already knows what you're going to pray. And if you're anything like me, I read that story, I hear that story, and I'm like, okay, what in the heck am I praying for then? Just like time spent with your spouse or a close friend builds intimacy, prayer accomplishes the exact same thing with the living God. God longs to be close to you. 
So much so that he sent his one and his only son to die for you. And that intimacy is built the same way that it is built with others. Time, conversation, talking with him. Scripture reminds us over and over again that prayers will not often be answered how we see fit, how we think is best. But no, no, his promise is that he will be with us. That that through that intimacy and through that relationship with him, we will find that peace that really does surpass all understanding. Prayer and worship is so much more than just getting what we ask for. It says, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kahath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. They recounted God's faithfulness of the past, they gathered and prayed specifically, and they believed God's promise to save them, to rescue them. So, and this is so good, they begin to praise him before the breakthrough. They praise him before they experience any sort of victory. Will will you take this posture this morning with whatever is going on in your life? Will you claim his promises over your life? One of the ways that my wife and I are very practically living this out is... um, we, we have been in this journey since, since March of 2020 of bringing home our third child and this foster care and adoption process. And throughout this whole time, we have just been declaring God's promises over Oakley's life. We have been declaring God's promises, reminding ourselves of his faithfulness over and over and over again, declaring that the battle has already been won because we know who goes before us. Also note their posture. They, they bow low as to show reverence to the living God. It's a habit that we would be wise to follow. We, we do something physically to get our mind and spirit to the same place. See, see, it's very natural for people to think that when you see somebody worshiping here on a Sunday morning and maybe they've hit their knees literally in the row that they find themselves in or they have their hands raised really high or their arms are open, and it's natural for us to think like, man, that, that person must really, really just be into this moment. And, and that's certainly the case sometimes, but often it's precisely because, at least for me, I'm not feeling it in that moment. And to help get my mind and my spirit to where I know it ought to be, I place my body in a posture that helps to move the rest of my body, the rest of my mind, my spirit there as well. We all are bringing a lot in here on Sunday mornings, and it's normal. It's normal to sometimes not feel like singing and praising the living God, but remember, that's all about you. Your circumstances have changed. You may have even changed, but God has not. So you place yourself in a posture of surrender and dependence. You bow, you open your arms, you raise your arms. And you watch your mind and your spirit follow suit. The the, the people in this story, they they were so moved by prayer and, and recounting God's faithfulness of the past that worship then became a natural response. That this wasn't something done begrudgingly. That remembering God's promises, remembering God's faithfulness, it got them really, really excited. 
If showing up here on Sundays and specifically the singing, the worship part of this service is something that you actually dread, that you very much do not look forward to, I have to believe that there is a good chance that you have not made a habit of recounting and remembering God's promises, remembering his faithfulness. And it's why I will challenge you to recount God's promises daily. We say this all the time, that daily encounter, that daily time spent with Jesus is the single most important habit that you could possibly develop. And this is just one of many reasons why this is the case. Because when you are daily going into God's words, you you are going to recount his promises. His faithfulness is going to be staring at you in the face over and over and over again. I would challenge you, write down, literally write it down in a journal when God shows off in your life so that you can then return to those instances when it feels like he has maybe abandoned you. Church, that the people in your life that, that have the greatest faith, that they don't have any fewer bad things happen to them. No, I I promise you, they they just spend more time with God and therefore have more intimacy with Him. That they're reminding themselves of His faithfulness and His promises more often. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Apparently either Jehoshaphat or he was sensing from some of the people that they were experiencing some doubt. And so he again reminded himself and all the people of the promises of God. God had already declared that he was going to come through, so he didn't need any reminding. God did not need to be reminded of this. God does not need to be reminded of who he is. We do. Over and over again, for as long as we live, this is something we have to return to constantly. And the more we do this, the more our faith will grow. And the more our faith grows, the more our trust in him grows. And the more our trust in him grows, the more opportunities that will present themselves in our lives for God to show up and show off. And it says, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk of the head of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Not swords drawn, not ready to go to battle, singing and praising the name of the living God. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Amnon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. God undeniably moved in a way that would not have happened unless they sought him and praised him before the breakthrough. There's power, again, in the gathering and his people coming together to sing and praise his name. God responds when his people gather to sing and praise. He is worthy of it all. These are the accounts of faithfulness that we need to remind ourselves of. Why it's so important we write down the faithfulness of God in our own lives and continue to return to it. 
that this, what we just read, it was God's plan all along. But again, it's hard not to wonder how many times we have missed the opportunity to experience breakthrough in our lives. How many times we've stuck, been stuck in slavery to sin. How many times we've been stuck in a rut, stuck in a bad habit, stuck in anxiety, all because we trusted something other than God. Prayer, worship, praise, singing is a way to proclaim truth over our lives and over our circumstances. And so the question, as I wrap this thing up here this morning that I want to leave you with, is where do you need to experience a breakthrough? Where do you need to experience a breakthrough? In your marriage? With your kids? Your job, your mental health, your sexuality, your, your physical health, the, the way you see yourself? Forgiving others, forgiving yourself, trapped by the opinion of others. And I would invite you that rather than turning to answers and and all these different places that the world so freely offers, it's time to approach God like never before. To follow this pattern that we see with King Jehoshaphat. To remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. to, To declare His promises over our own lives daily. to to pray humble, specific, consistent prayers with expectation that He's going to come through. That that, that prayer is no longer the last line of defense, but the first line of offense. And to praise Him before the breakthrough, before the miracle. 